You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. God of peace, be with us. Come, Spirit, come, make your presence known among us. We thank you that you know us and that you love us and you refuse to leave us in a place of chaos. We realize that our lives will always be surrounded by conflict and chaos until you return again. So in the midst of that, give us peace. Make your presence known. And then open our eyes that we would look, our ears that we would listen, our minds that we would be open, our hearts that we would feel the invitation you extend to us. To sit with, to be under, to be covered by your reign of peace. Be with me, keep me hidden behind your cross, in my presence be buried in its shadow. I go to say anything that didn't write or good, let the words fall to the ground. If anything is said, it's good. Establish it deep within us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'd ask, if you would, please, to turn your attention to the screen for the reading of Scripture. In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Eteria, and Trachonitis, Trachonitis, and Licinius was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show what they were changing, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives, and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice crying out in the wilderness. Preparing the way, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon, produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. And whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, What about us? What should we do? He answered, Don't cheat or harass anyone. Be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. 
With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, had been criticized harshly by John because of Herodias, Herod's brother's wife, and because of all the evil he had done. He added this to the list of his evil deeds. He locked John up in prison. I don't know about you, but if I go listen to a preacher and he calls my mom and daddy a snake, I don't know if I'm coming back. You know what I'm saying? It's the thing about Advent. Advent always reintroduces us to John. We're reminded of John's truth-telling ways. His ministry of truth-telling. John knew that he had a very specific call in the world. He learned it from his dad, Zechariah. Zechariah was the high priest who got the word from the Lord when doing his duty at the temple. His dad's the one who said in a prophecy, Luke 7, 76-79, You child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His way. He would tell His people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's deep compassion. The dawn from heaven will break upon us to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. Let's read this last sentence together. To guide us on the path of peace. See, John knew that preparing the way for people to see the light that could guide people to the path of peace was going to require a boldness in believing that God can do new things. John knew that the only way that he could live in a world where Rome is in the charge where the people are suffering, where the Jewish people in power and privilege are leveraging that power and privilege for their own good. The only way that he was going to be able to boldly pronounce that there was a light that had dawned and that there was a path to peace if only we would let our feet lead us there was to believe in the God of new possibilities. So John had no problem entering into debates. Whether it was calling his ears to humble generosity or whether it was calling religious leaders to repentance. What strikes me the most is how John didn't hesitate to call Herod, the ruler, the king of the Jews, to repentance. John wasn't concerned about the ruler's policies for Galilee. What John was concerned about was his immoral character. See, John's desire to see righteous and godly character in the lives of those who claimed righteousness and godliness, especially those in positions of leadership and power, had no boundaries. Herod was doing right by the people in a lot of ways. Economically, it was flourishing pretty well. But John wasn't willing to let the good politics get in the way of immoral character. And so John spoke truth to power. Publicly chastised and called out the ruler's immorality. Publicly called out the religious leaders who made sure that Herod stayed the king. Called out their Hunger for power. And you know what happened to John, right? Ended up with his head on a platter by way of the king. See, they tried to silence him. They couldn't silence him. So they had him arrested. 
and they couldn't silence them. So they killed him. See, John knew that salvation, as taught to him by his father, Zechariah, meant that even in the midst of that, there was a pathway that could lead to peace. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was one who had promised to come to reorder the expectations of all the people who would be willing to be open to the idea that God is about new possibilities. That new things can happen. That even when everybody says it won't change, that if they were willing to see change, when everybody said that it's not possible, and they were willing to say that, but with God it is possible, that things could be different in the world. John believed that. But the people that listened to John, they weren't open to new possibilities. They wanted to hold on to their old expectations of what led for peace. They wanted to hold on to the old way of doing things because it was comfortable and known. And though they would never have said that they were holding on to their old expectations and the old things that had made for peace, though they would have never said that they had forgotten about God's peace, their actions in their lives, the hearers that John preaches to, the actions of their lives, whispered the question, can God still do the impossible? Because after all, wicked people had come from from the far corners of the earth with hatred in their eyes and weapons in their hands and had taken over their land and now was in charge and promising peace that could lead to prosperity. It was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And they were promising prosperity. But yet the people of God were still suffering. God's people had forgotten about the possibility of peace that was tied to the new possibilities of God. And here's the thing, y'all. When we forget about peace, it's because we've forgotten God's promises. And when we forget God's promises, we're left with having to figure it all out on our own. Which means then we'll have to find our own path to what we think is peace. And some things never change. Today it seems like we too easily forget about God's peace. Like those who are surrounded, John and his message were tempted to believe the vision of the world that's cast to us by society that tells us that the good life happens when we have more getting and gaining. Who tells us that if we want to eliminate the suffering or feel safe and secure, then it's up to us to make it happen and to do that by whatever means necessary. Right? They tell us that if we want the good life, we have to attain it through upward mobility, climbing the corporate ladder, accumulating greater wealth. They tell us we can find comfort in things like this, but we know there is no comfort in these things. Upward mobility is hard. The accumulation of wealth is elusive. And it doesn't feel any safer or more secure from the last time we tried to make it happen on our own, does it? Yet we keep doing it. You understand? We keep doing it. We keep blowing it up. In the name of a peace and security that we don't feel. Which is always indicative. It shows, it proves that we don't believe in new possibilities. Because we do the old things over and over again. 
See, John the baptizer comes to us in the season of Advent. and He reminds us of something else with all of his snarkiness and all of his meanness and all of his hell, fire, and brimstone when he calls a thing a thing. He comes to us believing in the God of new possibilities, powerful enough to scatter every darkness and bring peace in the valleys of fear and death. He believes what his dad, Zechariah, prophesied, that God's Messiah would, look at 79, give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us on the path of peace. The lordship of the Christ child that we celebrate and remember in Advent. He is our peace. He. And our restoration is His promise. Christ the King has come. The light has dawned to scatter the darkness of anxiety and the shadow of death. The question for you and for me is will we allow the light of Christ to guide us to the path of peace and open us up to the new possibilities? Like will we actually trust Jesus enough to do as He did? To follow Him? That's really the question. But see, this leads to another question. What if the path of peace isn't what we think it is? Like, what do you think the path of peace is? Well, what if we're wrong? What if the light that guides us to the path of peace shines upon practices of hospitality and generosity and reconciliation? What if that's the path of peace? See, because the thing about a path is you have to do what on a path? What do you have to do? You have to walk it. And walking takes what? Effort, energy, action. So what if peace doesn't actually come through some sort of sitting with our legs crossed in a church building and praying and reading scripture or praying in our dark rooms at home or just sitting out? What if the path of peace comes through the walking? And what if on the walking we get tired? And so we think that peace means energy. When sometimes peace is exhausting. Like what if we think that peace means the absence of conflict and chaos? But that's not what peace means. It's never been what biblical peace means. Biblical peace has never meant absence of chaos and conflict. What it means is finding a sense of wholeness and well-being, having your footing, having your footing and your identity set in the midst of the conflict and the chaos. Does that make sense? It's having something that transcends the chaos. The chaos and the conflict is going to, those sitting in darkness, we're going to sit in darkness. And the shadow of death is going to come. We're going to be in the shadow of death everywhere we turn. We turn on the news, there's death. We turn it on everywhere. It's always there. But that's why I think the writer said, guide us on the path of peace. We have to be guided on the path of peace. Once we get there, we have to be guided through it. That takes energy. It takes effort. It takes watchfulness. It takes waiting. It takes listening. It takes action. It takes all of these things. But, and what if we don't want to do that because we don't make the time? We don't have time to do it. And what if we don't have the energy to do it? What if we're just plain exhausted and tired? But see, that's the thing about Advent. Advent invites us to live into the tension of all that. Of all of that. Of stepping into the tension of it all. Of feeling this. While learning to feel this. Of living in a world that's always like this. While learning to live like this. And here's what I've learned about the path of peace. Jesus is always ahead of me on it. You and I have no business fearing a future where God already 
indwells. He's not in a hurry. He's not anxious. He's not wondering what we're going to do. He's just ahead of us, looking back at us, saying, you want to come? It's going to be hard, maybe narrow. But you want this path or you want to find your own? He gives us that option. But he's on it, ahead of us. Do you want to just organize your life around your family and become so family-centric that you negotiate the beauty of Advent? Do you want to... You want to lose Advent in light of the Christmas season and the gifts and go broke all in the process so that your generosity is cut in half? Come on now. Is that not the deal? Like that's what he asked us to. I think that's why John was like, look, you want to do something? If you have two coats, give one away. Isn't that what he said? If you have food, give some away. What if the path of peace is found in practices of generosity, hospitality, and reconciliation? What if the path of peace is found by allowing our lives to be disrupted, by allowing the chaos and the conflict to enter in even that much more? Because you know how we'll come out the other side? Whole. And that's what peace is. Wholeness. We're going to come out burned, bruised, a little cut. Yeah. We can come out whole. See, the light of the Messiah reveals that when the strangers and marginalized are welcomed and embraced, the path of peace is found. When you read this Gospels, the light of the Messiah reveals that when we are finally convinced that to give is more blessed than to receive, the path of peace is found. The light of the Messiah reveals when you read the Gospels that when wrongs and betrayals are forgiven and enemies are loved and persecutors are blessed, the path of peace is found. The world of new possibilities opens up. As the reign of Christ breaks in when God's people, in John's words, are willing to repent and believe. But the path of peace is riddled with distractions and seductions scattered along the path. It's the temptation to pursue other things we believe that can bring us peace, like upward mobility, greater wealth, national security, the ability to control life or manage outcomes. Scattered along the path are fears and anxiety that comes from a stark realization that we are not in control and we cannot manage the outcomes after all, especially when we watch the evening news or read the headlines. I mean, look, like William and Mary students' finals are going to come, right? Like they, they happen with or without you, right? Like you, you can stay at home. You can stay in the dorm. What will happen to finals? What will happen? Your professor's not going to be like, oh, Okay. Like, no, it's going to happen, right? Like, it happens. So why try to escape something that's going to happen? Why not find a way to be whole and bring that whole self into that and live to tell about it at the end? That's life. See, the story will go on that we will be tempted to tighten our grip on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in a kingdom that will, like all other kingdoms in the pages of history, be a footnote or we can lean on to the kingdom of God of the king who has come and who is coming again the good news of Advent is that it proposes to us a king of kings who invites us into a kingdom that will never falter flounder or fail and he will guide our feet to the path of peace if we'll trust him we'll be willing to do what my wife would say to Ian when he would get frustrated to do the hard things 
something will remain wrong in our world. And wicked people will always come to threaten us in the most unexpected ways from the most unexpected places with hatred in their eyes and weapons in their hands. We'll always be tempted to believe that peace and prosperity will come from the promises of power and privilege. But we must remember that the peace and the prosperity that comes from the kingdom of God comes from letting go of power, naming and owning your privilege, and leveraging it for the good of someone else. The path of peace comes by trusting the Christ who's on the path ahead of us to lead us through the hard things. You will come out whole. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.